Chapale, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is, Ita- is Italian for what balls, mm. which is roughly analogous to what a pain in the butt, which I can only imagine Ferrari team principal Mattia Bonato saying on a regular basis. I'm Drew, Drew Scanlon. Joining me, I can't speak today for some reason, which is tough because we're doing a podcast. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Uh, I'm doing great. Clearly, the California heat has gotten to you. I know you oh have uh, you've ran back to the, the the cool shelter of San Francisco for our current heat wave. But uh, it's great out there. I was, uh, you know, I'm in an air conditioned apartment now in the North Bay. But it was great to walk outside and just turn into a puddle mm. uh, almost immediately um, upon touching the hot air. It was uh, it's a good time. Our planet is dying. Formula One has nothing to do with it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? <laughs> uh thriving uh sorry mm. i couldn't be here last week i i had to get the fall weather stuff out of storage because uh, <laughs> it's arriving a bit early right now and so uh I, I feel very fortunate that while so much of the country is boiling uh into into oblivion uh here i am all tucked inside swaddled in layers of wool Hey, look, I know you're, uh, you live in an apartment, but uh, did you also go the way of your, your cohort over at Waypoint and get a 20-foot skeleton for your front yard? Uh, I wish. You know, I could probably fit the 20-foot skeleton uh, in, in my building, um, you know, given that everything's kind of two stories uh, here. But no, re- regrettably uh, not going. You know, it's like the, uh, the culture of the building is such that uh, it's just not, it's not the spookiest season it could be. And okay. maybe, and maybe you know, I need to do something to re- rectify that because uh, we can't leave it all to the one person who has the um, the scream Grim Reaper, uh, like a relief of it coming out of their door. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, it, I like, like that. it's, it's it's. I like it too, except for every year, the first time it makes an appearance. Oh yeah, it like kind of ruins my morning because it catches yeah. you by surprise, <laughs> and like you just think about how disturbing that is. I, oh, okay, we're we're talking about Halloween stuff here. I thought Rob has had been engaging in uh, unfair labor practices, <laughs> and uh, we had to erect uh, some kind of uh, thing in front oh, of his lawn to let everyone oh, like know. Shane, like, oh, yeah. sorry, yes, yeah. like the big the, the, rash. The big I'm rat just... was popular in San Francisco for a while. I've seen skeletons. <laughs> Yeah, I like some. Of the, <laughs> that's I feel really like, good. I, I, I like feel the like idea you bring playing. up the twenty foot skeleton as a labor warning when uh, things might be about to take a turn. <laughs> okay, yeah, good point. Like the rat's not enough. Yeah, uh, <laughs> bring, no, bring you're not dealing with scabby skeleton. anymore. We're not. We're not. We're not talking about scabby. <laughs> Uh, if you're new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you are new to Formula One itself, we've got an episode just for you. Our preseason primer. Uh, assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 178. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What's been going on in Patreon land this month, Danny? Uh, the most recent one is still Le Mans, which we did at the end of last month. We haven't gotten one uh, for this month yet because the races keep happening. We're, <laughs> we have a triple header right now. We're like, we're swimming in it. Just like we haven't gotten to emails because we don't do emails until we're in a, a nice uh, um, uh, post-race 
um, uh, situation. So uh, we will have one. If you have any suggestions, of course, you can let us know as well um, via the email and the form, which you'll hear later in the show. Shout out to all of our incredible title sponsors, though, who keep our livery covered and keep delicious cans of their energy in our fridge. Which one of these would most likely be an energy drink? You figure it out. Wow. Kick. Another styling from Adlib Master Danny O'Dwyer. Thank you. I do my best. I, do, I plan these every week, I'm sure. Uh, Kickaha of the Arse. That's a new Is one. Is that new? Whoa. Yeah. Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, At Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Pyrite's Card Castle, Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, TelemetryDeck.com, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Billy Foot, Abdullah Althani, the title sponsor now known as Jack Chadwick. I feel like you can up- update that now, Jack, I don't think. The now known, it's like the artist formerly known as, as a certain stage, we just called him Prince. You know what I mean? It's We don't need to. Hey, it's up to you, though. You, you pay us. Abraham Getchell, Octocorp, Snakes. Is there a Unicode uh, for the, the Prince symbol that Jack there, could put in there? There must be. There must be. Whether or not it works on, you know, all tele- all phones is another one, though. Mm. There's no emoji for it, I don't think. Um, uh, Abraham Getchell, Octothorpe, Snakes, Alex Goucher, Max Valtar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Rumpf, Irvine Clinical Research. That's the energy drink I want to drink. Nice. Right there. Just drink that clinical research. Wiley L. Batong, endangered, in parentheses, and Jason Kelly. Right on. Thank you, sponsors. Thank you all. uh, We're going to jump right into it here because we got a lot to cover. We got a race to talk about that happened and a race to talk about that's coming up. So let's get right to Zandvoort. Uh, Qualifying red flag due to flares on the track. Yeah, did you see the video of the guy throwing it on? No. no. Yeah, there's, there's, there is a video. I saw it on Formula Dank. He just walks down, like he's, he's being recorded, like maybe by his buddy for like mm. a, for like a post, a hot post, a, a hot TikTok. I have no idea. But yeah, he just walks down, chucks it, and then everyone in the stands just starts shouting at him. It's very weird. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You hate Don't to see that. descent in the ranks of the Orange Army. <laughs> Although, if you did want, not to get ahead of the conspiracy, but if you did want a safety car, that's one way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, well, Max Verstappen didn't need any help. He's on top uh, of uh, qualifying. I'll just run down the rest of the group. Oh, here. didn't he, though? Checo chose an opportune moment to spin his car behind Max <laughs> to did. make sure that nobody true. could complete their flying laps. Mm. Although the uh, times were going down on that final... Uh, yeah, no, like he was he was safe. Yeah. Like, but I, I think maybe you're looking at some movement, like in like P two through four. But yeah, it's uh, no Max. Max had that well in hand. Uh, Charlotte Claire in second, uh, although only by let's see, oh, a yeah. couple hundredths of a second. Um, Carlos Sainz lining up in third, followed by Lewis Hamilton in fourth, Sergio Perez in fifth. He spun, as you said, on his last run in Q three. Uh, George Russell in sixth, Lando Norris in seventh, Mick Schumacher in eighth. Yeah. I have an exclamation point next to that so that I say it like this. It's exciting. Um, Yuki Tsunoda in ninth and Lance Stroll in tenth. He didn't set a time in Q3 because of a problem, but he did get there. Uh, Pierre Gasly in 11th, followed by Esteban Ocon, Fernando Alonso, Gio Guan Yu, Alex Albon in 15th. Valtteri Botas, Daniel Ricciardo, Kevin Magnussen, Sebastian Vettel, and Nicholas Latifi, yeah. as David Kraft pointed out, last 
for the third time in four races. It was a brutal Q1, though. The rest of it, there was a lot of. I was, I was, I was watching those names pop up at the end of Q1, thinking these guys are getting old, huh? <laughs> a, a lot of these guys were racing for poles at one stage in their career, but now they're swimming at the bottom. Oh boy. Mm. Uh, all right. Well, let's take it to the start, Danny. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is a weird track, and there's really only one place to overtake. And I'm not really sure that the first lap is the best time to do it, <laughs> um, because you know you just don't have as much slipstream, or if there is DRS to to really make it stick um, before you enter turn one, which can be quite uh, tricky as well on cold tires. So maybe unsurprisingly, we didn't have all that much. Uh, big overtakes happening in any of the formulas this weekend on the first lap on the first turn um, and the same was largely true here we did have a little bit of a shake-up though um hamilton had to sort of defend against what i assume was perez or maybe russell a little bit um at the start he didn't have a great start and so he sort of took up a, a, an inside line which was not particularly advantageous when he started to come in to slow down for turn one and take his angle um as he did about halfway through the apex on turn one, which is quite wide, he made contact with Carlos Sainz. Um, sort of that fortuitous contact where you have the wheel hitting the, you know, in between the wheels of the other car and not slamming into the wheels. Um, it looked like I mean, everyone that's got surprising. Away. It didn't cause any damage because usually that crunches a whole bunch of carbon fiber, but apparently it was yeah, right. totally on ni- neither car. Um, I'm, I'm wondering. This is not the first time we've seen this this year where we've seen a tap on the side and it be fine. Um, it does feel like in previous years, perhaps the designs of the bar- barge borges with all those intricacies, you know, it, it felt like they were sort of like uh, Swiss army knives at one stage a couple of years back, whereas if you touched them at all, um, you were going to get something from it. But uh, yeah, both of them were fine. He didn't get a puncture and, and signs didn't seem to get wobbled by it or have any uh, lasting <clears throat> damage either. Um there was a bit more sort of a, a concertina effect from that almost, where there was a bit of battles from... Um, Lando Norris, who I think maybe made up a place during those uh, early turns as well. Yeah, he jumped um, Russell into sixth. Right, and then was sort of a ha- harrying Perez as well, who didn't get a great start. But uh, aside from that, everyone uh, threw, everyone made it through at least for the first lap. It wasn't until lap two until we saw someone career off the edge of the track, at least for yeah. a bit. Yeah, Kevin Magnussen in 15th place went wide uh, into the gravel, bounced off into, a wall, and then came yeah, back onto the, the track. <laughs> um, it's like, it's like a kid in one of those bounce parks. He just kind of like way <laughs> up against the soft wall and came back on the track. Right. Uh, it's not this corner, but there was what people were calling fake gravel, which is, I think, a, a, a poor term for it. But, Seems um, like a misnomer. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, on turns 11 and 12 uh, ahead of the race, they, uh, the, I guess the grounds crew um, sprayed epoxy up to a meter from the edge of the track, kind of on a, like a border, uh, to prevent the gravel coming back onto the track. So it's still uh-huh. gravel there and you still lose time, uh, but it won't like kick rocks back onto the track so they just go gorilla glued it so it wouldn't like basically yeah okay love it um uh, lap 15 it has been x days since a ferrari gaff oh man uh this time it's during a science pit stop and his rear left tire isn't ready 
Yeah. Uh, they lose about 10 seconds rummaging around in the back trying to find it one. It looked awkward from the start. You notice he also had to check up, it seemed, as he was entering the pit box. And that could be because, like, the pit boxes were really tight and that came up this weekend. But it also yeah. looked on replay, like, because Ferrari was so discombobulated, you had guys running through the pit box as he's, like, trying oh, to pull wow. up to it. Um, yeah, so they like, also... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, so, like, it, on every level, this thing just seemed like a shambles. Yeah, Ferrari also left one of their wheel guns um, laying out in the path of Sergio Perez, which he ran over, uh, yeah, which was, with, he with, thankfully with escaped. wheels. Yeah, yeah. thankfully. Yeah, it was, that was not great. Without a puncture. It looks, like, looks like the gun wasn't doing too good, though. No, I think, yeah, they did have to replace it, it looked like, uh, from the... Uh, from the TV feed. Uh, Bonato, uh, the team principal for Ferrari, did explain after the race that it was a very late call to bring mm. signs in to cover off a Hamilton undercut, uh, which is why things weren't ready, but still a bad look. Uh, lap 17, <coughs> we get another fun little fight between <laughs> Nick Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel. Sorry, I love how we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to glaze over that Ferrari gaff because there's just too many to get to in this race. So let's yeah. just keep going. <laughs> we got, we got to keep going. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Mick Schumacher, the protege and, uh, Sebastian Vettel, the mentor 15th yeah. place, no collision this time. Uh, but a, a good little scrap. Um, and then, uh, starting on lap 36, the Mercedes of Hamilton looking pretty fast compared to previous races uh tries to pass Perez for third at turn one but Perez goes deep defending and closes the door on the next lap though Hamilton does get by with DRS into turn one but is slowed in subsequent corners by the back marker of Sebastian Vettel yeah who had just exited the pits just came out and kind of wasn't sure where to put himself and that's and that's largely because we're already up to lap 37 that is largely the uh the the i guess tenor of this race is that it is it's about tire strategy it's about pits this this very early on felt like one of those types of races because there's just not it's not about overtaking here really um and and it's just a funny little weird track that it was i mean it it was better than last year for sure i think the ability of the cars to to follow closely helps a lot the expanded drs zones uh seem to help a lot um it did sort of hit me, though, as uh, you saw Perez uh, closing the door like that in turn one. I just feel like Perez, maybe more than most drivers, I seem to be noting just like doubtful tactics through corners. Like he's a hard fighting driver, but there are just so many times where I'm like, this is just not well judged. Uh, and they're like, he is putting like he is putting himself in positions to be taken out or he's putting drivers in positions to like kind of save his bacon uh from from the movies making it seemed like it seemed like he was contesting that corner maybe a bit uh harder than he should have been um given given the relative disparity uh in pace of the cars at the time and also you know in this in this whole exchange the difficulty uh Hamilton has getting past uh Checo and then sort of being stuck with this awkward sab wandering in the middle of a gunfight uh type thing like that might also be significant for later in the race because so much of this does come down to the margins that mercedes at least has to ponder its next move uh Mm. in in terms of uh track placement even if a lot of the on-track difference is going to be wiped away by uh safety cars by the way did we uh, skip over now that's a big deal but um was it latifi who uh like bumbled it and uh took out uh Valtteri as he was trying to evade 
the cartwheeling uh, Williams. Was that this I race d- or Spa? Yes, that was Spa. Was it Spa? Yeah, that was, sure? was uh Yeah, like turn five. Yeah. So when did, when did, oh, Valtteri stopped this race. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This is what happens when I watch Spa on like a Wednesday when I get home uh, <laughs> and then watch another race on Sunday. You fused yeah. them together. God, no wonder Drew, you thought this was out. good. <laughs> uh, well, so Vettel eventually moves over, but earns a five-second penalty for ignoring blue flags. Oh, he did? Oh. Yeah. Um, but lap 44 is when things get weird. Oh, yeah. Uh, we hadn't really discussed the tire strategy yet, but Mercedes or uh, Red Bull committed to a two-stop when they started on soft tires and pitted for mediums mercedes however seems to be doing well on their one-stop strategy so far having started on mediums and pitted for hards uh hamilton in third at the stage is closing on verstappen and if verstappen has to pit under a green flag he'll likely come out behind hamilton so a safety car or virtual safety car would really help verstappen here and max wasn't happy uh just with the hard compounds in general um whereas the mercedes seemed to actually get better uh, as the as the compounds sort of firmed up, they were doing very well on the uh, on the on the firmer compounds. Whereas Max, I kind of had the sense, felt like he'd been pulled off the softs early because just before they brought him in, he was on the radio being like, "Tires still feel good," and they still brought him in. Uh, yeah. And then he never felt at ease uh, with those with those mediums. And yeah, like he was getting like his tire wear wasn't great, and the distance was narrowing fast. Uh, and it looks like in terms of like if if the strategy stays stable. He's just gonna like lose on the way this whole this the cycles around Mercedes one stop, um, but it always seemed very unlikely that on a track with a seventy second lap and as narrow and weird as it is, you wouldn't get a safety car. It was just a matter of when. Mm. Yes. Well, here to answer that question is Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, then running in tenth, pulls over to the side of the track. Radioing, radioing that his tire isn't fitted or not screwed onto his car properly. I'm just going to say what happened here first, what okay. we saw, and then like describe what actually happened. Um, so he he pulls over. We cut to the Alpha Tauri pit wall, and we see some wild gesticulating, and then get a radio message back to Sonoda saying, tires are okay, start again. So he does and just continues on the lap. They, they had to have run the tape, right? They had to have had consulted their own video of the pit stop. To yeah, re- or like I, I, I've heard that um, there are also like torque measurements in the guns. Okay. Right. So like this, the the tire was tight or at least the gun like registered a certain amount of torque. Because they left him there. They were like, hold on. And it was like 30 seconds or a minute before they were like, mm. keep going. Uh, and I always wondered what happened in that window. Uh, and I see because like the not fitting a tire thing is like it's both hugely embarrassing it's an instant like retirement of the car and then the F- F- FIA comes for you like you get yes. massive penalties uh, for this it's like one of the worst things uh, you can do so yeah it, like I gotta believe that, yeah they went to whatever data they had of the pit stop and we saw the same thing where you're sort of staring at that front left being like is that is that wobbling is it looking weird um, but it, everything seemed to go normally. Yeah. So he, he then comes into the pits and they change his tires again and send him back out. But then he radios again saying that something's wrong and that maybe the differential is broken. So this time he is told to stop and stops for good, uh, near a gap in the wall. 
but also in the sand, so it'll take some time to move mm. uh, his car. Um, so which causes a virtual safety car. So some illumination here. The first time Sunoda stopped was after he had pitted and noticed that weird feeling that he attributed to a loose wheel. He then radioed about this and uh, was told to stop. So assuming he was going to exit the car, Sunoda loosened his seatbelts. And we saw ah. when he came back in, his team trying to tighten yes. his belts. And we, we couldn't figure out why. Um, I think Jensen Button actually said like, oh, maybe he thought he was getting out of his car and, and loosen him up, which is, which is the case. Which at that stage, I thought, oh, was the wheel thing code? Like for... Oh, uh-huh. Because they're, because they're because if your seatbelts, I don't know if you need to re- pull over immediately if your seatbelts are loose oh. or something like that. So if that was a, but I was thinking that not knowing that obviously there was an issue with the tire because it didn't look like there was an issue with the tire even when he said it on the replays because you can kind of tell usually when a tire is loose, especially right. on a twisty and it didn't, track like this. Yeah, and it didn't look like it. So, all right, so the team tells him to restart. Uh, and basically, he he has to drive with loosened seatbelts back to the pits because he, I right. think he said on the radio, like, hey, my, my seatbelts are, are loose now. So he had to come back in, which is why we saw the team, team tightening them. Uh, the team changes tires, I think, uh, believing that that will solve the issue that Tsunoda was feeling. But as he exits the pits for the second time, he feels the same thing again and is told to stop the car again. So... The stewards actually had a look at this and concluded that it was indeed a problem with the differential. So there was mm. no, there was never any tire issue. Um, but the stewards also handed Sonoda a reprimand for driving with loosened belts. And while right. a reprimand itself doesn't carry a penalty, if you accrue five of them, you get a 10 place grid drop in the next race. And this was Sonoda's fifth. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, is like one of those things that were rolling expiry within like a calendar year I or think something. So, so he, he picked up enough from last year. Yeah, or yeah. within the last calendar year. So according to race fans, uh, he's gotten three for impeding rivals and one for driving too slowly on an in lap. So he will get that ten place grid penalty in Monza huh. this weekend. Good, uh, good track for it to happen in overtake city. So <laughs> yeah. So we do get a, a virtual safety car, which allows Verstappen to pit and not lose a position to Hamilton. Uh, Verstappen puts on hard tires, and Mercedes double stacks Hamilton and Russell, who were in second and third, um, on the same lap and puts them both on mediums. So while this eliminates the potential for seeing that one-stop versus two-stop battle play out, which I really would have loved to see, uh, Hamilton is still slowly closing on Verstappen here. Uh, and setting fastest laps. Fast forward a few more laps, and we get another stoppage. This time, as you said, Rob, it's Valtteri Bottas, stopped at the end of the front straight. Uh, Yellow flags are waved here, but still, Signs attempts a DRS pass on Ocon for sixth, and it looks like he passes Ocon before the yellow flag, but his team tells him to give the place back. Uh, and then we get a safety car for Botas. Safety car. Suddenly all the tire strategy is all thrown up in the air again. And this got interesting because it looked like you you had a scenario. I guess you'll probably go through the pits here. But it, it looked like Red Bull had maybe done a whoopsie. But as it turns out, maybe they just had all the data. <laughs> well, so yeah, with, with Hamilton closing, Red Bull decides to pit for Stappen and go from hard to soft. 
for the next, I think it'll be 12 laps once we restart. Um, this, this puts him back out in third, though, behind Russell in second and Hamilton now in first. Uh, a lap later, still under safety car, Russell radios that he is, quote, losing the tire and wants to pit to go from mediums to softs. So Mercedes so, does this. Well, go ahead, Rob. One other thing I'll note is I feel in one of these one of these uh, safety car uh, cycles, um, Mercedes lets the cars go around once, uh, and I think it might have been this one where they could have brought them in immediately in reaction, um, and they mm-hmm. didn't. They kind of let them go around uh, as the queue forms, and then yeah. like they they make a pit call here, and that's another moment where I'm like. Does this play out any differently if they're quicker on the trigger uh, mm. with this rather than like reacting to? Well, in this case, not so much reacting to Red Bull, but reacting to um, Russell's Safety concern car. about the tire, oh, which I like, yeah. which uh, was certainly something I was thinking about, which is that we've seen how poorly hard compounds restart uh, or, or start a race, um, you know, because the heat falls off them. Uh, and so, like, I, I did kind of wonder that. With the Mercs one two ahead of Verstappen, like he's on softs, he's gonna have a much higher performing tire at the restart. I I did kind of wonder if him being on softs kind of mooted it, but I guess this is the material question. But they 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 seem to basically tell Russell like you called the strategy, big man, in you go, uh, and there goes the tail gunner uh, strategy for Hamilton in P one. Exactly. So <clears throat> this drops Russell to third, putting Verstappen in second. And there will be no margin between him and uh, and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, in the meantime, Signs earns a, a penalty for unsafe release as he is let go into the path of Fernando Alonso. Uh, Signs said after the race in this quote from race fans, quote, by the time they released me, I was clearly safe from Fernando. But then I had to hit the brakes to not hit a McLaren mechanic that ran into my exit line, and it mm. was this braking that generated the unsafe release, if you can call it know. unsafe. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't was know, clearly Carlos. frustrated by it because I thought I had saved someone's life and not oh, generated shit. a dangerous situation. <laughs> oh, come on. I love McLaren's response to this. Uh, also in this quote from race fans, McLaren team principal Andreas Seidel said that it's up to the teams to ensure they carry out their pit stops safely in the limited space available. Quote, it's part of the challenge. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that, Carlos. He seemed pretty quick to defend himself on on team radio, and yeah, it's just another yeah. Ferrari bungle. Like I, they, you know, we talk about it week after week at this stage. I don't think they had the pace this year to catch up with Red Bull, but they. It's probably a good thing they didn't because they did not help their cause this year with a lot of this. Just yeah. kind of like Yuki, unforced errors here and there, and just weird strategy stuff. Um. This this one struck me more as like, and maybe we're we're seeing more of this as we get further into the season. But like, it was a it was a risk, right? It was marginal that he was going to get out before Alonso, yeah. right? And because of their desperation, they kind of have to take risks like this. Yeah, that's um, fair. Yeah, like the position they're in sort of creates these challenges for them. Yeah, like they, I have, guess they have also, to think outside the box a little bit. Right. Also, case in point, Mercedes. Uh, they crucially do not pit Hamilton. So we've now got this familiar situation. Hamilton in first on old tires. Mm. Verstappen in second on new tires behind a safety car. And this time Verstappen has 12 laps to get it done. And sure enough, when we go green, Verstappen gets a run on Hamilton and takes first place into turn one. 
Uh, Hamilton said after the race that he was in the wrong engine mode for the start, and indeed he looked a little slow. Oh. Uh, with the getaway, you know, usually the 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 one that controls yeah. the field can kind of get a jump, but it yeah. didn't seem like he did at all. So. I just figured just like, it was just like that non-competitive with the Red Bull because the Red Bull straight mm-hmm. line speed is like appreciable. You can see with the naked eye uh, how much yeah. quicker it is uh, up that straight. But wow, to be in the wrong engine mode too, because um, I I wondered because that getaway strategy seemed to go horribly. Like you, you, you like it. It was so bad that I was like, he probably should have walked them up to the line and then gone uh, with the what was left of the straight. Not as bad as the restart strategy in Formula Two. Did you see that? No. No. Oh yeah, there was a big. Uh, there's a big. <clears throat> did they go? Didn't they go? Like, uh, where was it? Turkey uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. where we had that big crash where they, they thought oh, they went and then boy. hadn't gone. Yeah, there was yeah. one of those in Formula Two, and um, yikes, with like. I think Calderon and a couple of other ones got eaten up by it with like three laps to go. So that was a bit of a shame. Um, Hamilton as well. Obviously, he you know the last time he did that was in Baku where he had a, he had the wrong setting on for his uh, he had the magic turned on or whatever That's it right. was, and he went straight. Uh, just on that point, we've had two. We've had a lot of safety car restarts the past two races. Are we just done with the with the standing starts? Have they just decided that's not happening again? Because I miss those. Well, they, well, I think that's, so from, the red that's flag. for red flags. Yeah, red flags. Oh, was it just red flags? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're right. All right. My bad. It's just been a little while. Anyway, uh, Hamilton's woes don't end there. No. So a few laps later, Russell gets by him into second place with a DRS move down the main straight that looks a little scarier than maybe it ought to. <laughs> yeah. Hamilton wiggling a little bit there. They were pretty close well, in the green room afterwards. Hamilton is just talk about like around the band. Like from yeah. before even before the restart he's pissed um and then he's on the radio just like cursing out his team in all this so like very very drive angry at that moment and uh <laughs> it's it's hard to say to what degree is this like russell overcooking it a bit because he has so much more speed coming out of the corner than maybe he expects uh that difference to be or is hamilton trying to make the pass harder uh than it needs to be it's I don't know, but it yeah, it was it would have been the perfect capper really to the end of this race for Mercedes if they'd taken each other out. Uh well, Hamilton's tires continue to fade and Leclerc passes him on lap 66 for third place. Um and I guess here I'll I'll interject that, you know, Toto Wolf explained this the pit stop decision after the race in this uh quote here from race fans, quote, "Are we taking a risk for the race win? Yes, we're taking risks." He had a tire that was five laps old, Hamilton, uh, the medium. Holding position was the right thing to do. At the end, it didn't work out for him, but I'd rather take the risk to win the race with Lewis rather than finish second and third. You can do two things. You either pit Lewis, lose track position against Verstappen, and leave George out. Screwed. You can pit both. Screwed. So it was worth taking the risk. We could have left both out, but it would have been guaranteed second and third, and we wouldn't have raced for the win with Lewis. Uh, and for there, it's a done uh, done deal. Verstappen wins. Russell second. Leclerc third. Uh, Hamilton fourth. Apparently, Verstappen was uh, racing with uh, a racing helmet that his uh, father wore. Yas Verstappen in Formula One, and uh, he said uh, after the after the race over the team radio, "Hey, my dad finally won a race." <laughs> Yas Verstappen uh, famously did not. Um, Sergio Perez came home in fifth. Fernando Alonso sixth. Lando Norris seventh. Carlos Sainz eighth. 
uh, after all those woes, he did, he did end up getting some points, at least four points, that is. Uh, Esteban Ocon in ninth and Lance Stroll in 10th. Behind them, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, Mick Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, Kevin Magnussen in 15th, then Zhou Guan Yu, Daniel Ricciardo, Nicholas Latifi in 18th, and then Valtteri Bottas and Yuki Tsunoda, DNFs. And Verstappen got an additional point for setting the fastest lap Oh, the race. Zandvoort. Zandvoort. That's a Zandvoort. Get it. Yep. Done. Happy it's done. Let's go to a much more exciting place next week. Uh, Yes, indeed. But before that, let me just read down the standings here as we head into the next round. Max Verstappen is still on top, don't you know, with 310 points. Hmm. Then we've got a tie for second between his teammate Sergio Perez and the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc. Uh, in fourth place, George Russell, just keeping on, keeping on, getting points. Georgie boy uh, in fourth place with 188. Carlos Sainz in fifth with 175. Then Lewis Hamilton in sixth with 158. Then a jump down to Lando Norris in seventh with 82. Esteban Ocon's got 66. Fernando Alonso has 59. And Valtteri Bottas in 10th with 46. Kevin Magnussen's got 22. Sebastian Vettel's got 20. Daniel Ricciardo's got 19. Pierre Gasly's got 18. And then Mick Schumacher in 15th with 12 points. Yuki Tsunoda has 11. Zhou Guan Yu has 5, tied with Lance Stroll. And Alex Albon in 19th place has 4. And then Nicholas Latifi and Nico Hulkenberg have zero. Mm. In the constructor standings, Red Bull is on top with 511 points uh, to Ferrari's 376. Wow. Uh, Mercedes is in third with 346. Uh, Alpine's in fourth with 125. And McLaren is in fifth with 101. Alfa Romeo has 51. Gene Haas and team have 34 points. Alpha Tauri's got 29, Aston Martin's got 25, and Williams has four. Speaking of 5.11s, let's take it to the news. Oh, There's a lot of us. It's 9.11s, sorry. 5.11s are the pants. Uh, Rob. <laughs> yeah. What's going on with Porsche? Well. Porsche. By the way, everyone who says it's actually Porsche, we know. Porsche. Porsche. You're supposed to say Porsche. Technically, not, it's Porsche. Not in America. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Porsche was going to be coming into uh, the sport as part of a partnership with with Red Bull, which I think we we talked about, and I, I sort of felt was kind of disappointing. Just seemed kind of a weird thing that they'd be coming like a a fifty uh, percent stake in a wildly successful F one team, and that's their big that's their big return uh, to to F one. But the idea would be that they would take on uh, like the like part of the engine powertrain uh, development stuff in partnership with Red Bull powertrains, which was already starting to sound a little bit uh, confusing how all this, how all this would work out but it apparently like on the one yard line this deal has like collapsed uh by all accounts like it is it's effectively dead i guess uh uh helmet marco gave public comments uh at zanvort explaining that yeah doesn't seem like this is this is likely to come together unless Porsche uh, really changes some, uh, cha- like changes some terms. So it, it seems like the real issue, and I cannot believe 
that it got to this point without this elephant <laughs> in the room being addressed, or maybe they thought they'd addressed it, and then right before the wedding, there's some serious cold feet. But <laughs> as you might expect, this 50-50 partnership between a huge automotive brand uh, with a ton of racing and performance development experience and a wildly successful F1 team with a culture of independence. How was this going to work? How was a 50-50 split going to work in terms of, like, you know, choosing strategic direction for the team uh, in, in terms of just, like, overall leadership? How do, we, how do we govern this thing? And it kind of sounds like Marco and Horner may have just started getting bad vibes about the entire deal uh, <laughs> and getting concerned about how this would, this would, uh, this would effectively work. And so they basically started to fight Porsche in terms of like voting rights uh, and, and things like this. And it seems like that's kind of uh, killed the deal off at the, at the last second. I'm kind of floored that like they could, that, that, in all the planning they would have had to do to get to this point, it didn't come up before. But I, I think uh, Autosports write up on this, I think, makes a good point. These negotiations probably began at a point where Red Bull were much less sanguine about their prospects as far as engine and powertrain development. Mm. Uh, but one, it's gone better than they expected. Um Red Bull powertrains, you know, Horner, Horner in his comments about like one reason they're less eager to get the Porsche deal done is from Horner's perspective, Red Bull powertrains is a, you know, partner company that's going to serve their needs pretty precisely and they can kind of plug anyone into that. Uh, so they're, they're pretty comfortable with where, where that project is at. And so you can sort of imagine that whenever these negotiations began, uh, with Honda in the, you know, in the process of exiting the sport and leaving Red Bull kind of high and dry, you can sort of imagine, uh, a version where Red Bull's really eager to almost at any cost, sew up the engine and powertrain development problem, uh, and get that offloaded onto a partner with like actual resources and technical expertise. And now flash forward to a victory lap of a season, um and right. a pretty successful approach to staffing up uh their their powertrain division and suddenly like what Porsche is bringing to the table just looks way less valuable than it did and maybe a lot less valuable than a 50-50 stake yeah and um it, <laughs> such a it's even stranger it's made stranger by the fact that you know they're owned by VW and another VW brand is taking a completely different tack. Yeah. Like, so I guess I had underrated. I was, I was sort of bummed that like, it seemed like nobody in VW group was, was really going to be serious about like starting a works team and, and Audi's not maybe quite going to that level yet, but so Audi's partnering up with uh, the old Sauber team, the Alfa Romeo uh, branding is going to be stripped away uh, and it'll be, it'll be Audi's team. But Audi has sort of put the marker down uh, that they are building the engine and the powertrain uh, in Germany. Um, and this is the first time, very much calling their shot against Mercedes, right? Which, you know, basically arguing that um, the Mercedes F1 team is not really like Mercedes Mercedes in the way that this will be an Audi F1 car. Uh, and, and so they're, they're coming into this with, with sort of an idea from the ground up 
basically turning Saudi into uh, Saudi, uh, basically turning <laughs> Sauber into uh, an Audi, uh, you know, effectively a works team. Uh, they're going to have to inject a lot of their own money into it. Uh, Alfa Romeo's books have been like they do not. Alfa Romeo is in no danger of breaching the cost cap. Let us say, no, no worries there. So Audi's going to have to come in and uh, both like stand up this powertrain uh, program and bring, uh, you know, X uh, X Sauber into you know in the line with uh, you know other other peer teams uh, for from Audi's standpoint. But like you, you kind of look at that and and you know Audi went about looking for a place where we, what what is a property we can take over and effectively uh, make it an Audi F1 team. The Porsche thing always seemed like can we find a successful team and sort of have very low risk entry into the sport and I guess you know you sort of see what's happened here which is at a certain point if the if the risk is low enough and you're joining a successful enough program there there comes the question what do we need you for yeah yeah it's 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 a funny one I, I it's it's almost a shame that the entirety of the stories happened like fair play to all the reporters who have been covering this because the whole thing has happened sort of in secret um and we'll probably never really know what exactly kind of made it fumble apart. But yeah, to your point, Rob, it, it like this whole thing smelt a little bit fishy and a bit of an odd fit from the start. So in many ways, it's not surprising. Uh, also not surprising, perhaps, that we've gotten uh, clarification now on just what is up with Oscar Piastri's contract with alpine versus mclaren uh we had mentioned last week that uh he this whole deal went uh, ahead of the contract recognition board the crb a, a yes the crb a body within the fia which is uh designed to figure this stuff out outside of the you know international legal system um but we have we have a ruling rob yeah, pretty emphatic one. Uh, and mm. I think, you know, it's, it sort of seems like a real problem for Alpine is that in order to force uh, a driver to an honor contract, it, it generally is helpful if there is a contract, uh, which, which seems to have been the finding of the CRB, which is that effectively there was no contract. Uh, it, it, like the, the findings went out to the, to the media. Uh, the, long, the long and short of it is the CRB ruled fully in Piastri's favor to the point of saying that Alpine's on the hook for paying everybody's fees uh, for (laughs) this entire process. It was like 600 pounds, 600,000 pounds, 600 pounds. Uh, Jeez. Yeah. It's like a cost of a a sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. They're all represented uh, by a cousin uh, who has a lot of, you know, uh, 600,000 pounds, uh, I think is the the total that they owe both to like, uh, arbitration experts that were brought in by the CRB and then oh my uh, Piastri's lawyers and McLaren's legal fees. They basically fully, uh, you know, vindicated Piastri and said Alpine didn't have a leg to stand on in terms of, so how did this actually, how did this actually unfold? Uh, well, it sort of seems like <clears throat> as early as, uh, like the end of last year, uh, Piastri was getting antsy about his future with Alpine. Uh, what is it going to look like? And Alpine were floating. Uh, they they sent. I guess they sent him over 
they, they were slow throughout all this. That's an important part of the story, too, is right. Mark Weber, Piastri's representative, is constantly trying to run down Alpine about where their paperwork is at and when they're going to get to review terms. And Alpine is continuously just like, ah, it's been wild here. Uh, So much going on. Uh, Can we get back to you? And so, like, he's already having to chase them down uh, quite quite a bit for this stuff. Um, And then finally in the spring, they send him a reserve driver agreement uh for this for for 2023 2024 right uh and like as far as i can tell that might be the only real contract that that appears in this whole in, in this whole story uh but but crucially this is just a term sheet so they they basically like sent him over like a draft contract but it isn't binding and it's not it's not signed uh, and ultimately, I think this is this is the the agreement that Alpine tries to hinge everything on, uh, right. which is that they they sent to the CRB the terms sheet that they never actually came to terms over, and even on the terms sheet that they used as evidence, it said this is all subject to contract. So it's it's, ba- it's basically they sent the work in progress build of of the contract to piastri <laughs> the crb to be their like uh their, their their last resort but in the meantime uh you know weber is trying to find a, a better deal for this and mclaren is in the picture um and at this point with no contract sort of sewn up uh you know it was it was pretty clear that mclaren wanted him like the the thing that really seals it is that alonzo decides he's going to leave and so even with um alpine sort of belatedly getting around to floating where it all gets screwed up for alpine is that they're trying to keep alonzo but they also don't want to fully let uh piastri off the hook so in between the start of the season and when all hell breaks loose in the past few weeks they do start i guess trying to give piastri a race driver contract that doesn't guarantee a alpine seat oh right right okay. so it's like so they can fish him out yeah exactly exactly and so piastri and this was supposed to be at williams right yeah this yeah i think this was this was kind of um where they were gonna like put him in that sort of like get some seasoning role and yeah like the the idea would be uh he would sign a four-year deal um this, this so 19 may Piastri gets this other contract. It's a four-year deal, 2023-2026 seasons. Uh, and it was not exclusive for Alpine. And at that point, they're telling him that it'll be at Williams in 2023. Um, and because remember, in the background of all this, Alpine's trying to re-sign Alonso. And that right. makes you kind of wonder how those negotiations went to. Uh, but either way, um, so Piastri kind of balks at this offer. And Weber like goes and starts negotiating with McLaren um, who were pretty much done with Ricardo and looking for, for an out there. And so, you know, it, it, it kind of comes together pretty cleanly for Piastri, right? He has, he has a reserve driver contract, which he never signed. Didn't want, he gets the <laughs> race driver contract, but it's the, like, we'll keep you on a string for four years. And, you know, maybe, maybe you'll get uh, to the big team, but maybe we'll resign Alonzo which is our preference for like two more years. 
And so what's that contract worth? And so he never signs that. Um, and instead, like the McLaren deal comes together really, really cleanly in all of this. All, all McLaren has to do is eat the cost of one year of Ricardo's contract and it's done and dusted. Um, and so one of the other things that, that kind of emerges in all this is like, it's not just that Alpine were kind of like bad with the getting the paperwork together and like just mishandling negotiation. But if you think about like the way they kind of tried to drag Piastri through the mud, uh, you yeah. got Safnauer being like, I wish he had more integrity. Because, oh, here's a crazy detail. Uh, this, this came up later because people asked Piastri about this. Safnauer talked about a moment where they told in public, they told, they told uh, Piastri, you're going to get a race driver's seat. Right. And in Safnauer's telling, he was he smiled and was thankful. You know, it was clear to him he, he wanted to be an Alpine driver, uh, blah, blah, blah. Piastri's version of that, he'd already signed with McLaren. And here <laughs> is, like, I, I think it was Safnauer, like, in a meeting at the, at the Alpine facility in Enstone, in front of a bunch of people, like, making this big pronouncement when, like, Piastri had been very clear, like, negotiations were not going well between, between him and Alpine. And they basically, like... You know, not to use this analogy again, but again, it's like announcing the engagement uh, when someone has like pointedly said no or something like that. Well, we're getting married anyway. And so Piastri, <laughs> like, yeah, he did like smile and say thanks. But in his telling, it's because I didn't want to publicly humiliate like senior leadership right. of the team yeah. in front of a broad swath of uh, Alpine personnel. So he just kind of like white knuckles it through that like event and gets out. So when all this goes to the board, there, there's just nothing for Alpine here. Like, there's, there, there's no deal that they can, they can fall back on. And honestly, like, Piastri kind of did nothing wrong. And, and really neither did McLaren. If, like, with this, full, with this, like, full information, Alpine was a hot mess for months under normal negotiations. Alonso blew things up. And then they just began acting really bizarrely. Um, in the meantime... You know, Piastri, Weber, McLaren all do pretty normal business. It's it's like I, I'm surprised. I thought this was going to be a lot closer in terms of like sort of like a, you know, they said they said situation. Yeah. But like you think it it's going to be like the, the, the Polo Ganassi how, thing, right? Which does yeah, sound totally. like there's two contracts that's going to be like a mess. But this this is such bad PR for Alpine. Because it just makes them look completely incompetent. It makes Safnauer, who I think a lot of people already have a lot of questions over, like, what's that guy's deal, look like not just like a bit of a tyrant, but also a bit of an idiot. Yeah. Like, it, it, it doesn't, it's not exactly at the Like, if I was Danny Ricardo hearing all this, I'd be like, I mean, beggars can't be choosers, but it doesn't exactly make Alpine, like, you know, as much as it was maybe in a way it was easy to blame Alonso for the bad side of that relationship because it's Alonso and he's got a history of being that way. But this seems like it might be a bit more symmetrical than well, that. So it's interesting. One of the defenses I've seen offered of Safnauer, who I do think overstepped wildly in trying to, like, like argue his side and sort of try uh, Piastri in the court of public opinion. But, like, right. one thing that is sort of... Uh, you know, notable in all this is both these negotiations apparently were well underway when he stepped into the doors uh, as the team principal. So right. he inherited okay. two unresolved messy contract situations and it doesn't sound like he either like fully got read in on them 
uh, and took any sort of like charge of them, or he just mis- mishandled them. Uh, but, but you know, you, you can kind of look at this as being probably like it raises questions about Safnauer. It may answer them about Lauren Rossi uh, and and mm. his oversight of Alpine. Well, the uh, the driver drama does not conclude there because we still will have uh, an open seat at Alpine. Uh, that has not been filled yet. Fernando Alonso's move to Aston Martin. Sebastian Vettel is retiring. Oscar Piastri is coming in at Ricardo's seat at McLaren, but Ricardo hasn't been <laughs> announced for uh, that Alpine seat. He doesn't know where he's going, uh, and neither has anyone else. So what? What's going on in the fringes, Danny? Yeah, so I guess the 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 seat for um, AlphaTauri that everyone has been saying could be, uh, I guess, c- could be filled by uh, IndyCar racer Colton Herta, which would be a really big deal, not just for because well, that presumes Gasly is going uh, to Alpine, right? Which yeah, is like sorry, the can... weird the weird part of this too is like. It makes sense in that, hey, French drivers, French team, et cetera. Yeah. But again, these guys don't like each other. Like this is, and they're downplaying it. They're downplaying, oh, you know, right. it's, we, we, we're, it's, we're over it now. It's fine. There's no, like Gasly and Ocon have a famously like weird, tense relationship going back to whatever ended their friendship as kids. Don't know what the whole deal is there. But like it makes him a weird pick uh, to go over there. But it does seem like he is the front runner for the Alpine seat. And so, yeah, like AlphaTauri wants to do what? Yeah, they want to bring over uh, Herda, but and this would be a big deal, obviously, because we haven't had an IndyCar driver come over in a long time in in modern history, I guess. We haven't had an American driver. Uh, Herda is from Southern California, so it's another big deal to have, a, you know, especially with the growing popularity of the sport over here of course which we've talked about a bunch um the big stumbling block in the way appears to be the super license points um if you don't know what these are there is basically a sort of an fia wide um points system that allows drivers to qualify for f1 race seats uh based on their success in other racing series and the way we often hear about this is that they are sort of Adding points to well, they added points to W Series, for instance. Um, I think it was last year or the year prior. The past couple of years have been a bit of a, 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 a you know, bit of a mix. Uh, so the issue with Herda appears to be that he just doesn't have enough of them. Um, and of course, because this is Formula One and the FIA, there are two ways to solve this. Either you just waive the rule because <laughs> the rules are made by the people who run everything, or uh, they add some sort of um, contingencies or, or change up the points that he has currently or the points that he's able to get. Um, there's a little quote here from uh, Christian Horner, actually. Uh, we just need to clarify as to what the situation is regarding driver points, which hopefully will come sooner rather than later because that plays a key role, obviously, in the driver merry-go-round, that from racefans.net. And I did some research into what exactly where he stands on this um, and what can be done. So Herda finished uh, 7th, 5th, and 3rd in his full IndyCar seasons to date. Um, So he has 32 points. I believe 40 is what he requires. Um, There was some adjustments made, though, during COVID-19 to try and uh, give more points or allow drivers to use different seasons worth of points to make up the 40. So they have swapped some stuff around. As far as I know, no driver has utilized those changes in any 
moving from series to series uh, thus far. Um, so basically, Horner, they're waiting to see whether or not they're just going to fully waive this or whether or not they're going to tweak some of the other um, racing, uh, the other uh, um, points that sort of he's accrued up until this point. There is also the option that he might be able to um, to accrue enough points. Uh, this from uh, roadandtrack.com. He can still gather a few in IndyCar this year if he moves back into the top 10 in the series standings in the category's final two races. Successful free practice sessions award individual points, although this can happen only once per event, and F1 does not have enough events left for Herda to get uh, 40 points on these alone. Herda could also theoretically earn an additional five for winning the Macau Grand Prix, but that race will not be contested with Formula uh, FIA Formula Three cars this year, so it's it's going to be a mixture of both, maybe. But I think there is a will, and where there is a will, there is a way. I think if you've been part of the F one circus this long, you know that they'll fi- figure out a way of getting him in. But it's going to be interesting to see which uh, strategy they take, how much will be on Herda, and how much will be somebody in a executive room somewhere waving their hand like this. It's like the reaction from a lot of their teams is they're not going to get a lot of encouragement from this. I know they tend to stick it to each other, but like mm. uh, in general, I, I do think there's some cause for teams to be wary of this in part because there's a lot invested in their feeder systems to keep drivers yes. in these, in these development programs and uh, make it so that these feeder systems look, look attractive and if you do establish the precedent that, by the way, if you aren't even that that successful in IndyCar drive, driver, but if you are just like <laughs> notable and you turn in some hot performances there and if you're from a market we are eager to get some representation on the grid from, uh, then we will throw all that aside. And these uh, these super license points become kind of meaningless. Now, I do think the FIA has probably been too stingy with how they award super license points mm. to to Indy uh, drivers, but this seems like Herta kind of seems like the bad test of it because he is like you, you have to fudge the numbers to even get him close and right. they still not there. And in part, one reason he's not there is because he has not been that successful in IndyCar yet. Uh, and, and so it's, it's tricky, especially, you know, that, Alpha Tori is the capstone of their feeder system for Red Bull. That they are kind of making this lunge outside of the house uh, yeah. to to get Herda. Yeah, and maybe that's because they depleted their bench with the with the rapid uh, cycling of like Kafiat and Albin and Max being promoted up fast. I don't <laughs> know. I got to believe there's somebody back there. Uh, but this seems th- this seems kind of fraught, and and I do kind of wonder. There are there are flashes where I look at her and I'm like, this guy has one of the best touches on a car I've ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you catch him drifting at the the indie road course uh, this year. It's a very that's a very indie skill, though. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. I don't know that I've seen the thing that makes me think like this guy's gonna gonna knock him dead in F1. Um, not mm-hmm. to say he couldn't, but this whole thing hinges on like you know qualifications, uh, and it's kind of a weird look that the first American F1 driver in ages, if this comes together, is going to be because uh, he was a shiny object at the right moment, and then yeah. Red Bull just begged the FIA to shit-can their entire super license point system. 
I was I was thinking like if if there was another driver who was possibly you know if this was a him or Ricardo situation then the court of public opinion might be very different or if there was another junior driver that people were really thinking of um enjoy you know looking forward to I think that would be the case too um I was also thinking I was trying to think of like situations in which this would be have a totally different tenor in the court of public opinion and I was thinking if you did this with a W series driver people would be up in arms is it because I'm, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying that they're like for like, you know, IndyCar is a, a whole different beast when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the skill of those drivers and the competitiveness and stuff like that. But if ever there was a time for a driver to just break the rules and get into F1, I don't think it's usually this easy. But for whatever reason, because of the team and because of maybe the driver to a certain extent or because of the excitement about having an Indy driver in F1, th- there seems to be as little barriers to this as possible and i bet they just want to get it done quickly before i don't know some appear yeah it's the 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 funny thing is that i guess that they're willing to like blow all this aside and then you do have like guys who seem much more put together and hooked up like polo and award and there's just been nothing and i think yeah i think it's because that 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 red white and blue uh, that that freedom sauce dripping off the kid uh, that Red Bulls like man to get like one of those guys in the stable uh, would be would be incredible from the marketing angle, which is a huge mm. part of the the DNA of that company. But yeah, it, it does seem it, it it does seem dubious uh, to sort of create this like invented double standard uh, just to just to get this guy in there. And you alluding to that, uh, I, I think you you know if you saw you're right if you if you saw. Uh, Someone's being like, "Fuck it, we're putting, we're signing Jamie Chadwick." Yeah, totally. Like you would see people lose their minds, but that's also because uh, sexism is like bone deep uh, in, right. in, the, which, in which, the space. Which we saw this past weekend with what happened. With, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, where where like uh, you know, there the the moment a woman woman becomes visible in like male dominated spaces, uh, it's just like, well, time to begin the harassment brigade. Um, mm. which is kind of what happened with, with Schmitz, uh, with people sort of blaming, you know, arguing that the safety cars were a Red Bull, uh, like gambit and that Talking she engineered cr- Crashgate has a lot to answer for. It really, under, you know, it, it really the shadow does. Of that. But, yeah. but really, but you know, honestly, it's, it's, you know, to me, it's, it's barely even about that. It is Red Bull. were trying to credit her more publicly, uh, with her contributions right. and, and justly so like rebel strategy uh has been terrific these these last couple of years and, and tremendous this year but you don't set your watch by it uh you know you begin the public crediting of a woman in a notable role on a team the broadcast highlights her contribution a few weeks later following that lead and then immediately you know the the familiar element sort of realizes like, oh damn, there's, there, there's a woman in, in this man's sport, uh, and begins, you know, because begins trying to like make the space hostile and toxic enough that, uh, women are discouraged from staying. Yep. That sucks. Uh, it, it's, I think it, they showed her this weekend um on the pit wall and then i think even put her name up and uh, it's just it the feeling i got when they did that was it was almost like oh no they're doxing her which i think is just it's sad that that's my first gut instinct (laughs) Mm. 
Yeah, well, it's, it it's, that te- it's that tension. Like, you do have to call attention to the fact that, like, women are in the space and succeeding and, like, making significant contributions to these teams. Uh, but then the the ironclad law of that is that the sort of backlash elements, uh, you know, are, are going to be are going to be there. Yeah. And will immediately view that uh, as a challenge. And it, it does sort of seem, um, you know, it's it, it's tough to say. Some of this was being blamed uh, on like Hamilton supporters, which certainly like uh, Lewis Hamilton's uh, company, like Team LH, uh, mm-hmm. released a statement uh, sort of, you know, calling harassment of Schmitz unacceptable and not representative of the values. Uh, and, and I do think that that's certainly where a lot of this comes from uh, is just like the partisan toxic fandoms uh, that are starting to spring up in social media spaces around these teams. But honestly, like just from my own experience in video games, and I think we share that frame of reference. It's not really about supporting Hamilton. Like when you, when you see this stuff, yeah. it's never about the thing that it purports to be about. It's never because of the cause that it's like the immediate, like provocation that people are reacting to. It's mm-hmm. never about that. It is about, there's a woman here in a position of importance and influence. And that's the thing oh. that has to be like destroyed. Yeah. And there's no like wiggle room for the, well, in, in her case, obviously nothing was, was wrong either but even if there had been there's no wiggle room for that and you just think we make we make a trade the three of us the three lads here make a trade on reporting on absolute knuckleheads in this sport on a weekly basis could you imagine if like Otmar Zafner or Gunter Steiner were women like like could you like there's no way Gunter Steiner would be I'm not saying he's not like good at what he does um, and obviously, he's a sort of a, a character but in many he, ways. He wouldn't be treated as an endearing character. You're no, right. That's he would the thing. not be treated all as the, an endearing all the Steiner, character. the Steiner of it all, yeah. would be like, <laughs> get this person out of here. They're an idiot. Totally. They'd be like, oh, it's a clown. You know, she's, you know, t- you know, not respecting the sport or like taking, you know, how can the sport? How can you take the sport seriously? But like, yeah. So it's a compl- it's a it's a very barefaced, obvious double standard. But like you said, it's not really about any of that. You know that that is. That is not contingent on why people act that way and do those things. Right. I, I have a suspicion that if nothing weird had happened in this race and you just seen Hannah Schmitz on the pit, pit wall, like looking happy as like Max, you know, drives to a win. I still think you start seeing concerns about the harassment she's being exposed to. Uh, because, well, I, I, I that's why I was afraid because yeah. it, that at that when they showed her, it was looking like Hamilton might overtake Max for the win. Right. Oh right, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. now I'm like, oh yeah. great! Now all the legion of Max fans are going to come after her for throwing that away at Zandvoort. You know, I was just like, oh god. Uh, let's let's move on here. We got uh, we got Monza to do, but before we do, just one quick news story here. Uh, you guys have mentioned Jamie Chadwick. I just wanted to highlight that um, Andretti, the uh, the team whose Indy Lights program has produced the likes of Colton Herta, Pato Award, and Kyle Kirkwood in recent years. Colton still races for Andretti. They have an Indy Lights team, which is basically Formula 2 for IndyCar, is mm. giving Jamie Chadwick, the two-time W Series champion, uh, and also the racer who Racer.com points out, has won 55% of all W Series races. Oh, my God. Get her out. Uh, we gotta get her the out health, of there. The health of W Series. Get her out of there, please. Yeah, uh, they're dominant. giving her a test in the Dallara IL15 Indy Lights car next month at uh, nice. Sebring. 
on September twenty first. I love indie lights because they sound like uh, like a sort of a slightly healthier pack of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, I always thought like it's it's the light beer version. Uh, but uh, let's see. Um, Andretti COO Rob Edwards told Racer that yes, she is a candidate for an Indy Lights seat for next year. So good luck, cool James. Yep, give her a shot. All right, Monza, Danny, let's do yes. it. Yes, yes, Monza. Monza, if you never watched Formula One, welcome, by the way. Um, Monza is where dreams are made. I love Monza. It is a fun track. It is it is, it is is historic. It is arguably the third most historic racetrack in the world. Because when it was built in 1922, it was the third purpose-built racetrack in the world. Um, it's a little bit different now in many ways. You can see parts of the old track, the crazy banking. If you thought the banking in Zandvoort was interesting you should see the banks on this thing um that uh they they dip under for most of this uh this lap um uh, the first formula one here was in 1950 so it's like super og it's 53 laps there are only 11 corners here and you will probably know them all very well by the end of this race weekend um they're very distinct. They have a lot of interesting sort of flavor to them. You have Curva Grande, which is Italian for big curve, I guess, uh, which is, <laughs> you know, exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, sort of an overtaking curve, which you don't get too many of. They have another one, uh, which sounds like a Tool album called the Parabolica, which is the final turn of the um, racetrack. I feel like if this was a modern track, they would give this three different turns <laughs> because that, that's sort of the way they like to do it these years is every apex is a new turn. Um, it's a very interesting, like tight left-hander that then opens up and then into the straight. Um, there's two straights here, plenty of DRS overtaking opportunities in them, but there's plenty of overtaking opportunities in other parts of this track too. Um, uh, the Lesmo turns and, and like I said, the, the chicane after the Curva Grande as well. So even in the years where overtaking was an issue in Formula One, Monza always delivered. And uh, I think it's a pretty good bet for, for uh, I, I guess I'm just interested to see what, what the, how, how the new cars changed that because arguably this is one of the tracks where it was probably the least problem they had. Um it's super fast as well. The drivers are on full throttle for 80% of the entire lap, which is pretty remarkable. Um, great fans. This was probably the the one track where we miss the fans the most, especially when Pierre Gasly won uh, that race back in 2020. Um, but uh, the Tifosi, the Italian fans, will be out uh, in, in, in full form, full-throated, uh, much like the Max fans were this week. And uh, Ferrari... Hopefully, we'll do well here. Lots of high-speed corners, so they've, they've got a shot, but, you know, that's me being optimistic, probably. Do you think they start getting booed? No. God, no. How could they? They love them too much. They love the two drivers. That's Look, even if the car's not doing well, they, there's no, you know, I, I you can't know. doubt the kind of feel passion like, of the... Yeah, but <laughs> at what point does the passion turn to anger? At Like, I, I just think if there's another, if there's another strategy, like... Uh, snafu oh if something goes like completely yeah, haywire, i think you might okay, see that crowd yeah. turn maybe uh, look i'll take i think uh, ferrari fans will take second in the constructor championship i think like they if you offered them that a year or two ago they bite your hand off so <laughs> you know I, I don't think there's that but yeah i hear what you're saying if, if there's like a massive strategy gaff 
I you'll hear the groans all the way back to Maranello. Uh, well, weather-wise, we're looking pretty nice. Uh, high 70s or uh, mid-20s Celsius for qualifying. Nice. Should we go there? Uh, and race day. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, precipitation looks to be 0% for qualifying and 4% for race day. So probably not any rain. Mm. Uh, and uh, looks like uh, light winds both days. So should be just fine over in Monza. If you would like to join the standings yourself, you can join our fantasy league using the link in the show notes. I want to run down the top three from the Netherlands. We've got a tie for second between the Canadian team, Sean's team from Canada. There's no Verstappen us now. Uh, That's true. Gabriel's team from the US, Pink Pocket Rocket. And in Hmm. first place, Shahar's team from Israel. We are going car racing. Very matter of fact. I like it. Yes. Uh, But overall, in the fantasy season, third place from Canada, Michael's team, Leo Speed. Second place from America, Andy's team. Now this is pod racing. And still in first, James's team (laughs) from America, Maximum F-Vert. Love it. The puns are why we turn up every week, folks. Cuts it off. Yeah. Uh, okay. So with that, uh, you can send us an email, shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or F1.cool slash emails. You can also hit us up on Twitter at shift F1 podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. Danny Dwyer is at Danny Dwyer and Rob Zachney is at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Let's do it. Let's race around the way. Yeah. Shout out to my wife who is currently sitting in the room next to me while I did that for the first time, I think in you know how many years of this podcast i hope she enjoyed it if anyone has a lead on a three or four bedroom uh in the bay area for a reasonable <laughs> has uh, to price. have air conditioning yeah with air conditioning <laughs> but we got we got a dressed situation in the o'dwyer household uh i have not yet logged into google calendar so here we go okay there we go uh the world rally championship is wow in greece for the acropolis rally oh i love it in my head it's just like they're driving underneath columns and stuff didn't the acropolis didn't acropolis rally come out for the dreamcast uh there's an underwater section in it and it's like like, zeus lifts the track up in the sequel they introduced a day night uh cycle where like the skybox tints great yeah the 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 the, the <laughs> sand shows the the tracks of the tires it's really great oh i like it yeah yeah uh the camping world <laughs> trucks are at kansas speedway in kansas city kansas oh the kansas side that's right um for a race that i can't see i'm sorry i'm all discombobulated I'll make can i make it up can i yeah. make it up I'll, I'll call it the 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 go hunting 4,000 presented by Mattress Queen. Close. It's the Kansas Lottery 200. (laughs) Okay. I I don't think I like the idea of the race being sponsored by a lottery. It sort of implies a degree of luck. Because the NASCAR Xfinity Series is also racing at the Kansas Speedway in the Kansas Lottery 300. Great. Okay. Yeah. Just like, you know, turn up and just roll the dice and we'll see who wins this race. Yes. Uh, motocross grand prix is in oman oh man oh man 
this weekend. The World Superbike Championship is in France at Magny Cour. Ooh. They also have DTM. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do we I have to in, do a vice? <laughs> we are in Spa this weekend. We're having a Spa weekend. <laughs> uh, yes, I, need to and more, st- I need to stretch my Frankenstein. Uh, Formula 2 and Formula 3 <laughs> are supporting Formula 1 in Monza. We've got the supercars wow, again. in Pukekohe, New Zealand for the Auckland Super Sprint. Uh, IndyCar is at Laguna Seca for the God. Grand Prix of Monterey. It's not, I don't think I watch all this. This is a lot. This is the most we've had in a while. I know. The World Endurance Championship is uh, in Fuji for the Fuji <gasps> Six Hours in Oyama, Suntou oh. District. Uh, Shizuoka Prefecture. Oh, yes. Shizuoka. I don't know. I don't know what their mascot is. <laughs> and finally, we got an escort. Are we? Are we at the lottery? Kind of, because it's <laughs> the Hollywood Casino 400. Oh, that's a game of skill, Drew. I'll have you. I'll have you know, casinos are my mistake. All about personal freedom and skill and debt. <laughs> Well, you are personally free to watch Formula One this weekend. Oh. Uh, things kick off uh, Friday, September 9th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPNU mm. is Free Practice 1, followed by Free Practice 2 at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN 2. Saturday, September 10th, Free Practice 3 kicks off at 7 a.m. on ESPN 2, followed by Qualifying at 10 a.m. on ESPN News. And the race, everyone, Friday, September 11th at 9 a.m. on ESPN2, The Deuce. All right, that was a big show. Uh, Final thoughts ahead of this weekend, Danny. Danny frozen? Danny's frozen again. Rob Zachney, final thoughts here at the end of the episode. Danny just can't make it to the end of an episode. I, d- I think F1, we can all be too addicted to drama. Uh, I think we can, we can like lose sight of what we're all here for. But at the same time, if you work at Porsche and you're like near the C-suite and you're listening to this, are you mm. going to take that? Are you just going to let, are you just going <laughs> to let Red Bull be like, we don't need you. What do you bring to the table? You're nothing. We're multi-time world champions. You couldn't build a car if your life depended on it. You can't take that. You got to buy in. You got to become the eleventh team. Here, here's what you do. This weekend, rent Ford versus Ferrari. Rent Rush. Hmm. Rent Grand Prix. Get fired up. Eat that like two hundred, three hundred million dollar fee to file the eleventh team. Go in, dominate like you did in World Endurance uh, Championship, and then everyone will see uh, that you know Porsche is the true uh, elite of the automotive world just got to you know just 10 short 15 short years and you'll you'll wipe that smile off Christian Horner's face do it i uh, wholeheartedly concur well uh, if you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official shift f1 discord you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Take us out, Robo Danny. Meow.